morning. Welcome to this edition of Recap This Week. I'm the host, Sasha Estrella-Jones. We've been off for a couple weeks and have a lot to cover, but before we do that, I'd like to introduce the woman around the table today. Around the table, we have Dr. Tracy Harris, who is an educator and relationship and intimacy coach. We have Anna Niewedi, who works in nonprofits, specifically doing community development and fundraising and grant work for a nonprofit that focuses on the issues of marginalized communities. And we have our resident boss lady, Francine Dash. How are you all doing today? Doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing really good. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for us all. We have some juicy topics we are going to get into as our listeners will shortly find out. But before we do that, I'm gonna turn it over to Francine who's gonna walk us through this week's polls. Okay, thank you, Sasha. So today's poll was uh, posted on our Facebook page on July 2nd. It has to do with the recent release of Bill Cosby from prison and a woman's response to that release. Now, we've changed her name to protect her identity, uh, but I wanted to pose her uh, question to everyone in this poll. So here we go. Shana, who has been watching the latest news about Bill Cosby and is disturbed that people still say that the justice system in America is racist. Quote, if it was so racist, how did Bill Cosby get out of jail? He only served two years for what he did to all those women. I tell you what, black people get out of jail, white people get out of jail. I mean, the system isn't perfect, but it isn't racist either. People need to accept the fact that the majority of the people in jail are actually guilty and should stay there. Nobody is conspiring to make people commit crimes. That's their choice, end quote. Now, this is the question. While you may or may not agree that the justice system should be reformed, do you think the recent release of Bill Cosby, a black man accused of a sexual assault and predatory behavior against a white woman, is further proof that the American justice system is not racist? Now, before we get into everybody's response here at our little round table, I want to read to you some of the responses that we got on our Facebook page. Gina said, the Cosby thing is not about race. It is about money. If we were poor, black or white, his expletive would still be locked up. And Frank, another person who responded, basically said kind of the same thing. Cosby has the great American equalizer, lots of money. Now, an interesting response came from Deborah, and I'm not quite sure what to make of it, so I'll be really interested in, in getting you ladies get your, your feedback on this. This is what Deborah said. Okay, I know my opinion doesn't mean Jack, but people have their draws in a bunch because of Bill Cosby's release of the mishandling and trickery of the prosecutor in the case. Doesn't prove him innocent or guilty, just open the door because of the same fake justice system that has been used against people of color forever. Emmett Till's murderers were set free. George Zimmerman, who killed Trayvon Martin, was set free. And many others under the same jacked up law system. Cosby's old behind served some, some tough time for his alleged sexual fantasy privilege he took with women and lots of money exchanged hands over those years. It doesn't make it right, nope, but guess what? End of story for now. Let all the judge and juries carry on, but don't stay there too long. There are some real critical issues in this life to be more concerned about, blessed and loved ones. So that was the end of her response. Now that's how people have responded online. 
I want to know what each of you women think. Do you think the recent release of Bill Cosby, again, a black man accused of sexual assault and predatory behavior against a white woman, is further proof that the American justice system is not racist? Anna, what do you think? You know, I don't think it's proof that the American justice system is not racist. Um, I don't think that this story alone could prove to me that the American justice system is not racist. And, um, you know, like the comment was made that he does have a lot of money, which I do think is um, a factor in in uh, in this case. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think it's proof. I think that there's hard facts that we can look at to see the American justice system is racist. And this this story in its entirety, you know, doesn't doesn't mitigate that. Doesn't really get to that for you. How about you, Dr. Tracy? What do you say? Yeah, I don't think it proves proves anything, but the system is racist. We see people all every day being, you know, released after 10, 20 years um, of being in, in prison. We know there are people who are innocent in jail. It happens all the time. But I think um, we also have to look at power. So we've got race and we have power. When I talk about power, what, I'm, what I mean is when, when this occurred initially, when he went to jail, there were so many other celebrities and actors who have done horrific things to women. And nothing happened, you know, it kind of came out at that time, they lost their jobs, end of story. And then everyone's focusing on Bill Cosby. Well, you know, we keep hearing he was trying to buy, I think, was it a TV station or, or some type of media outlet? That something was, like that. And mm-hmm. so um, they say, well, they tried to shut him down. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of like, this isn't fair what I see going on. So um, I think there's more to the story. I don't have, know all the details, of course, or, or what's happening, but I think it's, it's part of it is race. And the other part of it is about power and and money. How about you, Sasha? What do you say? I definitely do not believe that this proves the American justice system is not racist. Uh, Following off of what Dr. Tracy said, I think what's interesting, and I've felt this way since everything with Bill Cosby first came out, is that when we tend to talk about issues specifically in the justice system that impact black folk in this case of a black man we do not talk about his privilege of being a man and it gets very one-sided where we only look at one identity being black but not the other and in this case the identity of being a man and also being a man with immense wealth i think and this may be a strong statement to make, outweighs his identity of being black. And I say that because, yes, you know, he was convicted and spent time in jail for this two years, to be specific, for this one assault that he did. But he was accused by multiple women of doing this. And in the initial poll, the person's response had focused that it was a black man against a white woman. But Bill Cosby was accused by many women across the whole spectrum during so many years Mm -hmm. of him holding this iconic position as you know, the, the um, a father of, you know, an American sitcom. And I think people blur the lines that he played a character. That character is not who he is outside of that role. And there's so many factors going on here, so many things. And the fact that he was 
release is is not surprising to me and more so than anything shows that our justice system needs work on many levels and one of those which impacts me and i would argue all of us around this table the most is justice for women and the way we pursue that and how we continue to elect allow predators to be predators mm-hmm. regardless of race and in fair play i will just say that my response to this would simply be that i think these are two separate issues i i don't see his release being indicative of anything uh, about the justice system uh, in the sense of it being racist or not racist i see um him be getting out on the technicality uh, of a deal that was made with the prosecutor uh, before the prosecuting prosecutor came into this space Uh, But I don't see him getting out as any indication that the system is not racist. I think that the system needs work. Uh, What it comes down to, and what's really hard to swallow for a lot of people, is that he so much admitted admitted to certain things. And so people feel like there's something that should be done. Um, But there was a deal made, and and now they're upholding that that deal. Uh, For the women who uh, were not represented in this trial, because remember, it was only really about one situation with one woman, uh, I think it's been hard for them as well. So my heart goes out to all of those women and certainly hope that uh, women do continue, men and women do continue to uh, report such things, and hopefully uh, this will help to move the uh, ball of change forward in our justice system. So with that, I want to thank everybody for sharing their thoughts on this poll online and for everybody sharing around this roundtable. If you want to comment on this particular poll or any of our future polls, just want to remind you that polls are released every Friday on our Facebook page, and you can find this by searching at Pointcaster. So that's it for me, Sasha. Thanks so much, Francine. Now we're going to pass it over to Anna. So what were the trends for this news cycle? So this past week in Charlottesville, Virginia has been super eventful. Um, After a long legal battle over whether statues of Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and Thomas Jackson should remain on public display, both statues were taken down under leadership of uh, Mayor Nakia Walker. So the removal of the statues has been long awaited, as I said. So city council um, made the decision in 2017 to remove the statues. As a reminder, there was that Unite the Right rally in 2017 when neo-Nazis protested the removal of the statues, and then a court ruling that the statues could not be removed following that. And that um, Unite the Right rally, too, in 2017 led to the death of Heather Heyer, who was killed when a man drove into a crowd of pedestrians. Um, dozens of others were injured as well. So it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, this Unite the Right rally happened in 2017, the court made the decision that the statues could not be removed. And then finally, this year, the Supreme Court in Virginia decided that city council could remove the statues. And so two statues have been removed this past week. And they also want to remove the statue of Sacagawea, Meriwether Lewis, and William Clark as well. Um, So that was really interesting. Uh, They're trying to decide what's next and what they're going to do with the statues. I guess 10 different groups um, have expressed interest in them. So what do you think should be done with the statues? That's a good question. Melt them down and make medals for children in elementary schools <laughs> when they have gym class and, and, and do well. You know, it's just yeah. hide them in the bottom of the basement. They can find them a hundred years, you know, from now. I don't. 
you know, I mean, if you want to give them to the clan or whatever, you know, but it's just, I don't, I, somebody else is just going to display them. And then you're just going from point A to point B, the same thing all over again, if you're just going to move them or allow someone else to, to, to put them up. Um, but I, I do think it, I don't think they should take down any statues of those who are representing something positive. And you had mentioned um, a couple others, and I hopefully those will remain up, and I'm not sure if those were part of the ones that are going to be taken down, um, but maybe those could be moved inside. But anything that's negative and representing something negative, um, I think it needs to go, and I don't think they need to be placed out. See, I, see, I think the city council was quite clear in their original <clears throat> um, plea or request to remove uh, statues representing um, racist figures, divisive figures, figures that celebrated slaveholding of any kind. <clears throat> and it, it seems like it's gotten a little bit twisted around the edges into other things with people thinking that there's a statue sale going on now. And um, I, <clears throat> what I hope is, I, I think that there are some people who are just, um, you know, they, they like history for the sake of history. I really do believe those people are out there and they think that all history is good history and they want to um, preserve all forms of it. Um, but I do think that there are people who are, are wanting to continue to promote that divisive narrative that has been oppressive for so, so long. Um, I do hope that this leads to a new chapter though for this area, for its residents um, and for uh, the people who've lost their lives uh, due to some of the acts that these people participated in. To echo what Dr. Tracy and Francine have already said, yes, I'm so excited that this happened. When <laughs> I read about this last week, I said, yes, 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 yes. I like, you know, sometimes when you read a news article and you feel like, well, damn, maybe the world isn't as fucked up as I thought it was. <laughs> that is the emotion that came across me. That being said, no, this isn't a statue sale. Uh, we can demolish them. We can have like community demolishing sessions. We can practice like getting out our aggression and have access for people to just bash them into pieces. I'm here for that. I'm not here for let's save them for the sake of it. I also don't understand why Sacagawea is now caught up in this mix. I don't understand that part either. Like, so I can speak to that part really quickly. Like, yeah, so, let's talk about it. Because what's okay. that going to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it did seem kind of, you know, thrown in there. I guess um, Sacagawea, her descendants and her, you know, great, great, great grandchildren now, um, they don't like that she's depicted in the background. So in the, in the statue, she's actually behind Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. So they said that, you know, it kind of makes her look like cowardly, like she wasn't in the forefront of the, you know, exploration, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they also want that statue removed as well. Oh, so that's, that's for a different sense. reason. Yeah, that's, that's for a different, different reason. reason. But, um, you know, I guess in in uh, the news about the removal of the statues, they also, you know, mentioned Sacagawea and Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Their I got it. I say let's just take them all down and replace it with a whole bunch of statues of Sacagawea. That feels that feels better for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that all of this just goes to really shed light on the fact that some Americans are not comfortable with the facts of our history. 
And I think it becomes so much based on quote unquote patriotism. And for me, acknowledging that there were wrongdoings in American history is not unpatriotic, is not anti-American. It's calling facts as facts. And I think with that honesty, we are able to unify and build forward together. But this continuous denial of what actually went down, come on. But at this point, I'm really like, come on, dog. Are you kidding me? It happened the way it happened. Like, you cannot ignore this to coddle certain people and egos. And if your ancestors happen to be on the first ships that landed here, okay, that's just how it felt. Like, I'm not, you know, sorry. I, no, I'm not. It is what it is. And we are not going to water down history to make you feel better. Absolutely not. No. That was really interesting. I want to say one thing to what you said. I recently read a comment from an elected official that said that, you know, slavery, that was just their job at that time. People had jobs and we all had jobs in building America. So I, I think that there's just a lot of not understanding. Um, <laughs> you know, some people just aren't taught about uh, certain parts of history and there's just a not getting it that I, I really personally don't even know how to begin to approach. You know, there are a lot of people surprisingly so unrealistic about it. I was in the African American Museum, and um, there was a Caucasian uh, woman, young. She's probably 22, 25. And she goes, oh, you know what? And this is all about the, you know, the horrendous things that happened, of course, with slavery and all and, and that section. She goes, well, at least they had a purpose in their life. So... <laughs> God had to escort me out, <laughs> you know, and Tracy turned around and walk, Tracy turned around and walk, don't catch a case of in this music, and, and, and I just, I had to walk away, like, you don't even want to dress it, I had to walk away. I just don't think people know what to say or how to respond. The purpose? I, no words, no words. I, don't. I had lots of words. <laughs> it's, Y'all would have had lots of words and possibly hands. But she, she, I mean, I'm like, where did you grow up? You, it's a purpose. And I really wanted to tell her the horrific things that happened that of course, many of them, you know, cause we fluff over that in history. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just, oh, they might've gotten beaten. Like, you know, like children get whoopings. No, there's so many horrific things they did to the babies and children and, and, and men and et cetera. So I just, I had, yeah, they, it, I don't know why, but it's, it's still hidden. Truth is still hidden away. It really is. And, and all I mean, these movies are out. And when I was reading this, you know, I was thinking about people defending these statues being up. And I remember in 2017 really digging into why people defended them so hard, just because I wanted to understand, because I, I really couldn't understand. And it's this denial that the Civil War was like about anything other than slavery is just absolutely in, it's insane to me. Um, you know, and especially when these statues were erected, uh, I believe that when they were built, it was also about racism, you know, and about making a clear point. And I think to defend them being up is, it's just, yeah, people just really don't understand our history and don't want to yet. So the second trend I wanted to cover really quickly is that, um, so a man got charged with, and his name is Hervis Rogers. Um, he gets charged with 40 years 
for voting illegally during the Democratic primaries in March 2020. Um, he had a criminal record and voted illegally after he was charged in Texas with a felony. Mm -hmm. His his bail is set at a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Wow, so, for voting? For voting illegally. And here's the thing is that one of the things uh it says it's illegal for a for a felon to knowingly vote while still serving a sentence, including parole or um fine. So it's really unclear if Hervis Rogers knew that he was voting illegally. And that's what the law says. You have to know that you're you're making that mistake. Um but we can't really ask him right now because his bail is set <laughs> at a hundred thousand dollars, you know. And somebody made the comment like, "What is he gonna do? Go out and vote again? <laughs> why, is his, why is his bail so high?" That's okay. crazy to me. There, yeah. there, there was a similar story with a woman who had been released from prison. She was getting on with her life. Her, her name escapes me, but she was, uh, I believe, rearrested because she voted. She did not know that she couldn't vote. She was out of prison. She was working. She was going to school, and she didn't realize that she couldn't vote. And that leads me to wonder why. Why can't they vote? And was her name Crystal Me? mason yes that is her name that's correct i looked up her story and her ballot that she voted on was a provisional ballot so when right. she went to vote they said like your name's not coming up in the system we're not sure why so cast you know cast a provisional ballot which was never even counted so mm -hmm. her wasn't counted at right. all right and she still faces five years in jail yes that's right that's so. correct mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy and again, that ballot wasn't counted and it was a provisional ballot. And that's why they have provisional ballots. For that very reason. So for her, that should have eliminated the issue because from what you're saying and from my understanding, her vote did not count at all, but she didn't know. And the people at the polling center didn't know either. And it sounds like everything happened the way it was supposed to, as far as that was concerned. But I just wonder why people in jail or out of jail, why they can't vote. I don't know why they're right to vote is removed from them. I've never understood that. Control. That is the answer summed up. Uh, when you can, you know, America, we have this thing of voting. Voting, we're a democracy. Voting is one of your greatest powers. You think not only have so many people died in this country to make it happen, but America as a whole likes to act like this uh, pioneer and the steward of democracy in the world. And we will go to other places to quote unquote fight for them to have their own democracy. But really, when you dissect that and you look at it, if, if we those beliefs really held true to the core and the fabric of how we like to look at ourselves, why would we feel this need to disenfranchise people for the rest of their life for one crime that they committed. Right. right. One crime mm -hmm. could make you lose one of the things that we say is most American. So do we really think that that thing is American or is that thing built around control? And my answer would be it's built around controlling. And then if we want to add layers to that, all we have to do is add race and then we really can see, you know, right, right. Who right. we're trying to control in particular, especially mass incarceration rates right now. Absolutely. Right. And it's really interesting because I guess he cast this vote in Harris County, Texas, 
which is where Houston is. Um, but they're actually prosecuting him, I guess, or they charged him in Montgomery County, which is north of Harris County. And so the reasons for that were kind of unclear for me, to me. But either way, um, you know, the point was made that Houston and Harris County has has more people of color than Montgomery right. County. Right. Um, so I definitely think race ties into this case, especially there's been other people in other counties that have cast votes for Donald Trump in the name of their um, family members that have passed away. And they've only received, you know, a couple years probation. Hmm. So, and they had the clear intent to vote illegally. Right, right. That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. I mean, sometimes things are so clear. Right. It's what it is. We just have to decide whether or not we're going to accept it. You know, accept that it is what it is, not that we want to accept the way it is. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. My heart goes out to him and his family. Voter suppression is is live and well, and I mean, was it Georgia? Was it, you couldn't no water for if you give someone. And, I mean, it's just like oh my gosh, the things they were coming up with. There's there's always issues with how they restructure um, the the precincts and I mean, it's just this is this is just icing on the cake and something else. There's there's so much going on. Yeah, I, it's some always. people think the plan is to get to a point where we're no longer the representative democracy that we are now with everyone being able to vote because someone I was talking to a historian and 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 he was telling me that you know everyone didn't always have the right to vote there were there were only certain people who were allowed to vote and the country functioned and some people want that level of control and functionality uh, because they think that it will function better without having everyone brought to the table so uh, that'll be interesting to see if if that is you know, true or not. I'm not really sure if it is, but we'll see. But it's not looking good. <laughs> Are you it could even be made that the type of democracy we have really isn't all that democratic. And I know that's going to bring us out to another conversation that we can save for another day because it's a, it's a whole episode in and of itself. But looking at the electoral college and mm -hmm. the way we have you know, a representative form of democracy and not a direct form of democracy, as in my one vote doesn't actually mean one vote. Mm -hmm. Is that true democracy? Question mark. Hmm. Hmm. Good question, but no. Short answer, no. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into it on another day, though. But right, right, I just right. had to speak my piece. <laughs> So I think that wraps up what I have for trends for this week. I definitely encourage our listeners to look into the Senate Bill 1 and House Bill 3 that's happening in Texas right now, which also, you know, uh, suppresses voting and comes at the same time of um, this case about Curvis Rogers. Um, but that's all I have for trends. So thank you so much. Thanks, Anna. We appreciate it. Hey there, before we get back to the podcast, we want to take an opportunity to thank one of our sponsors, Greater Domain Real Estate Group, an investment real estate firm for serious real estate investors and those seeking to build their real estate dreams. We also want to thank our listeners. Thank you so much for your continued support of all of the work that we do, all of our podcasters, podcasters, and writers. 
Everything we do is for you. So definitely check us out at www.pointcast.news and be sure to check the website regularly, not only for new podcasts, but for new articles that we've written with you in mind. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. We are now at our roundtable discussion. For this part, I've brought our guests back and we're going to be discussing some articles that have caught my eye over the last couple of weeks. So the first one that we're going to talk about, and I think it's very much connected to some of what we discussed during the trend section with Anna, is that out in Indiana, the Attorney General Todd Rokaida released a document in the last couple of weeks called the Parents' Bill of Rights. This document, in part, condemns teaching about race in schools. It's part of a larger conversation that has been happening this summer about critical race theory. For those of our listeners who do not know, critical race theory, also known as CRT, examines how U.S. law and race intersects. It crosses the lines of social, cultural, and legal implications for how racism impacts marginalized communities of color and was put together by civil rights activists as a way to move us forward and look at racism a little bit more honestly. Uh, With that being said, there has been a push to teach critical race theory in schools. But just as there has been a push to teach critical race theory in schools, there has also been people like Attorney General for Indiana who have opposed these new curriculums saying that they actually teach divisiveness in schools. So Rokita said that the parent bill of rights that he has put forth is going to include a way for parents to interact with school boards and to review curriculum and state standards. Some in the state and throughout the country are arguing that that is not at all true and that this is a push by the right wing, specifically the question, what's the word for radical? There we go. (laughs) Specifically for the radical right wing to limit our ability to talk more openly about race in classrooms. So this, I think, you know, really ties into the conversation about bringing the statues down. And I want to open up the discussion to see, you know, what do we think? We have some parents on been part of this roundtable and also Dr. Tracy, who is an educator. So do we think that critical race theory should be taught in schools? And also, how do we feel about the push against critical race theory being taught in schools? I'll I'll go on and and jump in. Um, I guess I taught in the inner city. So I was able to do what I wanted to do. And I did not use the school curriculum. I did my own research. You know, of course, I went to college, so I, I had a little greater knowledge than than maybe you know some on certain topics. And so, um, what I did was, and it's kind of funny. I told my kids, I said, "There's two stories. There's a story that you're going to find in your history book, and we're going to talk about that because you must pass a test. For example, the Alamo is is, is a story like this going back, you know." Uh, way, way back. There's always been a debate about the Alamo and how to tell that story. Okay, that's pretty common. And I said, then I'm going to tell you the truth. 
And so we, and that, and that's how I approached it. And um, today, you know, my feeling hasn't changed. I think we need to tell the truth about what happened, but maybe we should consider, this is kind of a little bit, you know, off to the side, educating teachers on how to do this because the whole idea of this divisiveness, there is a point because when the teacher walks out the room, certain kids are going to like, see, your grandfather wasn't, you know, those kind of little comments, kids do little things. So maybe there needs to be additional training, but I do not think we need to hide the truth. I think we need to be honest about it. And I think it's a shame that parents want to hide this. This goes back to, you know, earlier conversations um, about the issue of hiding uh, race and, and uh, uh, the, the truth from, from uh, everyone. And, and then when kids grow up, there are some ramifications for not knowing your history. Yeah, honestly, to piggyback off of that point, um, my first thought was if critical race theory was taught in schools, I feel like it would have saved me a lot of extra learning that I had to do outside of school, actually, you know, and, and there are serious ramifications for people not knowing these things and not being taught the accurate truth of history and also the effects that the history still has on us today. Um, you know, we act like history is in the past and that it doesn't affect who we are or how we interact with the world now. And it, it does. Mm-hmm. It hasn't just all magically disappeared. Well, I think it's a shame that anyone would propose, especially an attorney general, would propose that teachers not be allowed to discuss race in schools. You know, children spend the bulk of their time in school and when things happen in the world, they need a safe place to go to, to have real and honest discussions. And the censorship that's being placed on teachers and the burden that goes along with that seems so wholly and completely unfair because now you're taking away, you know, the main, one of the main people who operate and manage that safe space. So that's the one thing that's really just uh, disappointing to hear Uh, The second part is because of the true lack of understanding of what critical race theory is and it's turning and morphing to morphing into all of these different things. It's, it's causing people uh, unnecessary stress. Critical race theory is typically taught in law school as a way to really talk about how racism has impacted uh, the way the justice system interacts with different communities, specifically communities of color and how it interacts with white communities and the impact of all of that on all of us, which is basically some of what Anna was making a point of. Uh, And it's taught that way so that when these people who are educated in the law go out into the world, they like doctors who are taught bedside manner would have a certain sensitivity to the impacts of, of race and racism on the people that they are seeing and whether it's in a courtroom, whether it's in a legal office or, or whatever role that they're playing. Uh, so it's it's taught mainly in those spaces and there hasn't been any real true thrust to teach it in K through 12 because it, it doesn't really directly apply. But what school boards have been talking about were ways to 
expand upon our history in such a way that we aren't always trying to make it like hero worship. You know, there are times when there's some dark parts in history that have also contributed to the greatness of this country, right? And slavery is one of them. That's a dark part in history that's con contributed to this country. Uh, there are people who uh, whose stories haven't been told that have contributed. And, you know, what's really kind of confusing to me is that a lot of these people consider themselves a part of the Christian right. And one of the biggest elements of, of my form of faith is truth and honesty. So it just, it strikes me as odd that you wouldn't want to be truthful and honest when that's the basis of what you say you believe in. I, I can't really make that make sense. So, Again, the issue with teachers being censored and, and not and being uh, kept from, and I really don't think good teachers are going to necessarily follow that. Like Dr. Tracy was saying, you know, you got to manage your classrooms the way you have to manage your classrooms, right? But the thought that people think that they should do that uh, is really disheartening. I want to continue off of a point you made, but also something and a word in particular that's been floating around during this conversation, truth, what is true. When I had originally read the article, I said, oh my, but I said, well, if there's this one, you know, person out in Indiana who is proposing this, this must be coming from someplace larger. So I went out on the internet and I did a search and of course, you know, are lovely, and I say that meaning not lovely at all, <laughs> Newt uh, Ginrich from Fox News had put out many numbers of pieces on this critical race theory, and, and I want to quote him in particular. Uh, so he had said in an article that just came out actually yesterday, that critical race theory continues to permeate classrooms and infect our children's minds with outrageous ideas about their nation's history. But a growing number of Americans are standing up to fight back against its false tenets and demand its removal from K-12 education. At the forefront of this patriotic effort is 1776 Action, an advocacy group committed to the vital work of restoring honest and unifying education in public schools throughout the nation. So when I read that, I said, hmm, 1776 action. I've never heard of them before. Let's go on a search to see what they were about. So now again, I will quote what I found directly on their website. I get a good chuckle when I read all these things. You guys should know there was a time when it used to make me upset, and now I just sit back and laugh as a way to cope. Uh, so... <laughs> And the 1776 actions page opens up and you've got, you know, the big American fat, uh, flag, Abraham Lincoln sitting there. And it says, a time for action. For years, patriotic Americans have watched in distress as entire generations of young people have been taught a false and one-sided narrative of American history. Ironic, I thought. Continuing. Now, the slander of our history in the classroom is being paired with toxic, anti-American theories that divide our children by race, class, and gender. Every day, an entire generation of Americans is being further indoctrinated. We do not have decades to waste trying to pursue the radical left that they are misguided. We have to defeat them now, politically, culturally, institutionally, and financially. And then, of course, it asks you to donate, 
where this money is going to, they never say because you don't know. Right. And I quote all this and I bring this up is because as we have our discussion, we're talking about truth in one way. Mm-hmm. When you read these documents, truth is being talked about in a complete different way. One that would actually say what we consider truth is false. Hence, there is this divide, this division where both sides say the other side is full of shit. Pardon my French, not pardon. And <laughs> I, I bring this all up because when I zoom out and I and I look at it and I try to contextualize everything, the problem that I think underlies this, or one of, I should say, is American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism, this idea that America is the top nation, the best of the best, I think actually directly threatens truth. And I wanna pose it to you guys, because I, I think as, as we talk along this, we, we don't see it from that way. What exactly threatens truth to the point that two sides could both say we're liars. And I, I wanted to throw it out there and hear what, what we think about why this happens and our thoughts on if American exceptionalism and patriotism can actually be dangerous and not allow us to hit at the facts. I think the narratives that go along with American exceptionalism Uh, traditionally have had to deal with the white male being the lead of it. You know, I think about times when I was in school and taught the history of the founding of our country. And the reason why it's so great is because these great men came together and they fought against a great evil and they slayed Goliath. And here we all are benefiting from their greatness. They were the smartest, the strongest, the whatever. Um, And that narrative plays into that. But as we've all come to realize, you know, it, it, that wasn't the full story. In other words, that wasn't the truth. And when you're dealing with a word like truth, you know, it's different people define it in different ways. Some of us think we can edit truth <laughs> for our own gain. Uh, truth is supposed to be a keystone, a founding block. It is what it is. And the only thing we can really do with it as human beings is accept it or not accept it. But you can't change it. Right. But those narratives attempt to distract us from the truth because no one can really change what is. If they could, I wouldn't be here. All of us wouldn't be here. We're all women. We didn't have any rights, you know, and and then being people of color, we just didn't have opportunity. So that, you know, those two truths can't, they can't marry. That doesn't make any sense. And this whole exceptionalism narrative, the way that it was taught and has been taught traditionally, I think has not served us well. We're considered one nation under God, right? It's it's all about America, but I think what it comes down to is who is in power in this country, um, cultural dominance, and who makes a decision. And so, you know, the if you want to debate with anyone who is talking about, you know, oh, they're teaching this or that in the schools. If you really get down to it, they really don't have an argument. They're just repeating what someone else says. It's like, what are we teaching that should not be taught? And they'll start to stir. So um, I don't think it's a true argument. I think they're just, you know, just repeating what someone else told them to repeat 
But what it comes down to is power. Once again, we're getting back to that same topic again. I think it's about power and, and, you know, let's just eliminate it all together, not pick and choose. I think eliminate because if they can eliminate the uh, discussion of race, then of course, what are they going to replace it with? More of what? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. I think that talking about American exceptionalism, to me, that relates to a narrative of like, okay, everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, like this is the best country ever because this is the best country for anybody, whoever you are, to just make something of yourself, make something of yourself out of nothing. And everybody, you know, is going to have the same struggles in that. But that's not true. You know, that's totally ignoring people's different identities of their race, their gender, their sexuality. We know that like it's it's harder to do certain things uh, for different reasons. And I mean, that's oversimplifying it, obviously. But it's like, you have to recognize that America hasn't been an exceptional place for everybody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm, you know, wow. like this narrative isn't true because we don't have the same equal opportunities for everyone. Um, and again, yeah, like what what exactly are they teaching in schools that they're so mad about right now? You know, like that I still don't necessarily understand. Um, yeah. And also, too, when I was reading about this, what I found interesting is they really want the school board to get involved with what teachers are teaching the students. And the school boards are kind of like, we don't have a place in that. That's not our function. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that, that kind of skews things. And that messes with one of the most uh, powerful, dare I use that word, Dr. Tracy, uh, uh, groups in the country that's being teachers unions uh, who try to protect teachers not just their pay or what have you what we normally associate but also that space and the the authority that they have as teachers so I think that because he's an attorney general he probably should have known that that's not how it works but with all of the misinformation that's being put out there you're speaking to people who don't know Think, making them think that it's possible, it just frustrates the situation further. But I would like to say, even if they are successful at keeping the talk of race out of schools, at some point, you know, because I missed out on a lot of, of history about our country, but when I left and when I went to college and I interacted with people and I made friends across all sorts of, of, of communities, I learned. You can't keep the truth away from people and i have a a friend now who's dealing with that personally she's actually very bitter at her family for some of the truths they kept from her and learning about people in her community and 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 around her so it does a lot of damage uh long term to approach children that way and and it it takes a lot of gall to lie to our children I think I, I don't know what that is. I'm a mom and I just can't imagine rearranging the narrative to make everything I did look better so that they can worship me. <laughs> it just that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. And I mean I was always taught that the point of us learning about history in the first place is so it doesn't repeat itself. So if you're if you're not telling the truth about history, then it probably it's going to repeat itself because that's right. what happens. Right. And it's actually not helping anybody. So, like, why are we learning it if it's not the truth? There's no point. Exactly. 
but there are people who want it to be repeated. The good old days. Like, what were the good old days? <laughs> my parents and grandparents are like, where were the good old days? I don't know about any good old days, you know? <laughs> and so, it, to, to me, it's all about um, ideological uh, hegemony. They decide. They make the decisions, you know? And um, this is another decision that they are attempting to make to just totally eliminate uh, race as a conversation. Mm. Good point. My opinion. Drops mic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, there you go. <laughs> the, this conversation, though, around power brings me to the second article. It, it's a different topic, one I think many of our listeners might find intriguing, uh, but again, it's centered around power. And we're gonna actually leave the United States this time, one of my favorite things to do, and we're gonna find ourselves in South Africa. So just last month, uh, South Africa, they proposed a change to their constitution. So currently within the South African constitution, polygamy is legal for men. The proposed green paper is pushing for polyandry, the practice of a woman having multiple husbands being made legal. And to no surprise, there has been an immense amount of backlash against the green paper. And you even have people who practice polygamy themselves, uh, one being a very well-known businessman and TV personality who actually has a show that centers him and his four wives, four of them, one, two, three, four, uh, speaking outright against this amendment to the Constitution. And I quote, he says, this will destroy African culture. What about the children of those people? How will they know their identity? The woman cannot now take the role of the man. It's unheard of. Will the woman now pay bride price for the man? Will the man be expected to take her surname? So I now wanna open this conversation to the round table, specifically speaking to our resident sexpert and relationship coach, Dr. Tracy, what do you make of it? This is part of, of your field. So I want to hear your thoughts. Sure, sure. So the idea of a woman having more than one husband is nothing new. Uh, <laughs> we just don't hear about it. Um, my mother, when I was probably ooh, 12, 15-ish, I'm thinking uh, my parents went to Egypt on a trip. And there were, there were times where she wasn't near my dad and um, men would approach her and ask to be her second husband. So it's practiced a lot of times for financial reasons. And so that, you know, um, uh, men who maybe aren't in a certain financial state can kind of uh, join a family and add to that family. So it's not a surprise. I remember hearing a speaker, female speaker, and um, she spoke on kind of uh, race and those kind of issues. And, and, and she just spoke. And as a matter of fact, she said, um, you know, I went home to my husband's and da 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 And she just continued on with her talk. Well, we caught that. The husband's with the S and emphasized S. Yeah, so um, it does happen. And I think, it's, I think it's a good thing. And to me, just like marijuana, I'm not a smoker. But if you want to smoke, 
And if it can help you with cancer, your problems, perfect. If that's what you want. And I think the same thing. I think it, 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 it can work for those who want to work it. Now, I am in groups with those who are polyamorous. And so there may be multiple husbands or multiple wives or uh, they're just not legal. Of course, these are just people who get together and this is what they decide this they've decided to be in these kind of relationships and they have rules and it works. And, and for those where it does work, the children have, you know, multiple parents to see about them. Nobody's forgetting to pick them up from school and they have someone to someone else to go to. And it's just, it really does work for some people. And I don't see why it should just be allowed for um, men and not women. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I think it can, it can be a good thing as long as uh, people know what they're getting into and set their boundaries and make, make agreements. So I know a lot of men are going to be against it. Of course, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't want to hear about a woman trying to have another man, but um, it does work. And there are a lot of people in the United States who are involved in relationships, long-term relationships um, that are just as you just described. I love that you brought up um, the children too, because I've always thought like, if we think two parents are great, what about three, four or five, you know, <laughs> like just keep adding parents on, you know? Um, they say it takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, everybody has their thing. You know, you've seen probably some of the TV shows where it might have, you know, it did work. And there was, I remember like one mom was like, I want to do, this is like me, I want to do crafts, I want to play with the kids, I love babies. And this is, and the other one was like, I just want to go to work in the morning. If you want to take my kid and do crafts, I would be so happy. <laughs> and, and it was just like, oh, this is like the best. And so one went to work and the other one did the crafts and the fun and the, and played with the kids and then of course you know and then when the other mom came home they were right there to be with her after work and it was like wow you know and then as, as people age nobody thinks about this when people age and sometimes one of the spouses passes then you still have a couple there's still two people left to to you know work together and i, I saw that once i was made me cry you know where the where it, it was it was actually the, the husband died and there were two wives but you know, you still have two people together who who care about each other. So, as people get older, you have more help. It's not just just the kids, you know. So I want to raise an issue with this. What about just the basic thoughts of human jealousy? And what about you know how do you establish boundaries when people are used to? How do you go from that to a wife? having multiple husbands if she already is in a situation where she's one of many wives how might that work i'm just curious about that especially since we're talking about south africa uh, that's not the only country where that takes place but do you understand what my question is yeah well they have i mean they've got classes on that you can go to the <laughs> internet and find out all of your answers exactly what to do what are, I mean, this has all been worked out like decades ago. <laughs> they, all of the issues that are going to come up, jealousy is the number one. Yeah, and, that's what I was thinking. Because so, you already heard it in the men. You already heard the guy. To me, he sounds like very, you know, like a lot of men would sound like possessive type. So I was wondering how him. you deal with it. Yeah, not for him. But it has to be for you. And right. then you make agreements and then you have to have communication 
agreement set up when you start feeling jealous, when you don't have enough time. Now, um, switching gears, a woman <laughs> has to have wifely duties for two men. Whoo. Okay. So that, that can, that in itself can potentially be an issue based on the libido of two men. So, you know, that's going to have to really be a big consideration because you've got two, two men that you've got to um, take care of and love. Maybe I'm going to say something to that, Dr. Dr. Tracy. <laughs> Grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, you can now turn off the podcast. <laughs> I think that within that statement lies a misconception that men are more sexual than women. Right. I don't think that's true, actually. Mm -hmm. I really think the men can't keep up with us. If, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if, I'm really, if I'm being frank, you know, I think women can go longer than men. Oftentimes, we may be disappointed. Um, what are you going to do? But, tap the other husband in? Tap the other one? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> don't worry about it, babe. And just go right next door. You have your day, I guess. Finish yeah. up what you started. Um, well, so but, Oh, yes, Anna, please, please. So when I was reading this, I think one of the things that was mentioned, um, it was like a woman might take multiple husbands because maybe one husband doesn't sexually satisfy her, that they have, you know, a, a romantic or intimate connection that's not sexual. So then she has another husband and then they have the sexual connection. You know what I mean? So it could work in different ways. I do want to make the point, though, that jealousy happens whether you're just with one person or multiple people. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. So it's really something that I think we have to think how to work through on a deeper level. Like, where, what does my jealousy stem from? Like, why am I actually jealous? Um, am I not, you know, do I want my partner to take me to the movies more? Like, is that why I'm jealous? <laughs> you know, it could be something as simple as that. But I do think when this gets sticky is when a woman has is already part of you know multiple wives and then she wants to take multiple husbands hmm. you know that i see you know that's when I, my brain starts mm. this looks like a spider relationship you know what i mean <laughs> like that's i was trying to figure out how does that work and how does like who's the daddy you know like is DNA testing going to be standard practice now? Like, or does it even matter? Because you're I'm married. Glad you brought Too that up, Francine. Because <laughs> that was actually used as part of the argument against legalizing polyandry of like, we, well, you know, are these kids, they're not going to know who their father is. And I think that even the questioner around that, like the idea that we must know these things stems from this possessive you know patriarchal society we live in that a man must know what is his because those are his kids that is his seed that is his sperm and this idea that you know when we have you know the opposite when there's a man who has fathered all these kids well it's fine that these kids they you know they have moms here moms there, yada yada but as long as they know who their father is because your identity your ownership is tied into your father and not the mother whose womb you came out of and i think that belief in itself 
is tied into patriarchy. It's tied into sexism. You know, why? Why must you know who the daddy is? And I don't mean that in a, in a funny way, but mm-hmm. you know the woman's womb you came out of. You right. came through your mother's vagina. You know, like, can we not give credit to the, <laughs> the, importance, the importance of that? So I, I think all these things, you know, they, they bring up larger issues or even this idea, you know, of like, policing why do we feel the need to police women's bodies in this Mm, way that we do not with men like we're not worried you know about the men who already have these multiple wives and who they're which wife they're sleeping with on which night but then when we switch the conversation to women it all of a sudden becomes so much based on sex and the policing of sex that Mm. we don't see when it's the opposite gender. What about women's pleasure? Let's just talk about women's pleasure for a moment. Okay, you have two men to please you seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I mean, you choose the right ones and you are in good shape. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, there are men and, and, and men who are, and I'm saying over 50 too, also, also, who have wonderful stamina, who will tap you out. Okay, so, and they know what they're doing. So, you know, what about women's pleasure? That is something that men have have had a problem with um, since we started domesticating uh, animals. And, I, and I, I had seen some research on it, and that was when things kind of turned. Because remember, a long time ago, women, it was, you had to pleasure a woman for her to have a baby. They believe that. You know, it's not true, but they believe that. Uh, she had to, to, to be happy and satisfied. And so things kind of changed. And then in the many cultures, um, you know, women's pleasure is just... It's 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 a negative thing. I mean, they're still mutilating girls. So I was just thinking that too. women's pleasure. Um, I mean, just a, I mean, it, it it just grates on some men the idea that a woman can have two men who are taking. I mean, just that kind of joy that that can mm. potentially bring to a woman. You got me considering things differently now. Thank you, know, you Dr. You Tracy. Gotta look at, look, <laughs> you got to choose right. Now, we're not, now, choose okay, right. So got it. Gotta Taking choose notes. Right. You gotta choose Right. You've got someone who may provide if that's what you want. Those who are going to to take care of you behind closed doors. Those who are going to be in conversation with you intellectually. You can get all of those parts because sometimes it's hard to get it from one man. I get that. That was kind of what we were, you know, talking about before. So I'm looking at it like, oh, this can be a very wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But you got to choose right, and the two men have to kind of agree. And then, you know, who's, you also have to decide. Um, with some of the relationships with poly, um, polyamory, people have different rooms. And then sometimes there's a shared bed. I'm not saying the men would sleep together. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You know, it's just, it's part of that conversation and, and, and your choice. But um, there, there are so many different ways that this is done um, successfully. So um, as a female, you can kind of pick and choose what you want. As you as you approach this topic, you know, I think it would require men to level up. You know, it, come on, hey, now. hey, level that's... up. If right. you don't act right, I have another husband next door, <laughs> or so, I can go get another husband, right? <laughs> yeah, this idea that no, 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 you can't just do whatever, and I don't have to just accept whatever. I think so often. And this, it brought up a larger conversation about marriage as 
I, I, I don't know the word marriage as a what's the word I'm looking not entity um but you know what I thought about Sasha when I thought about marriage and I was reading this article I think in some ways this might cause a stir but I think in some ways it almost nullifies marriage at least in that the traditional model right because if people can start choosing their partners uh freely without the constraints of a thing because the traditional marriage model has uh safety rails <laughs> right and and if those safety rails are off then is it does it have to be marriage is it marriage is it something else so i think that it, it really opens up a broader discussion in my mind about what marriage is what it has to be what it should be or maybe people are just redefining it i don't know but that's what popped into my mind as I was reading this. I agree. I I, I, I'm sorry, Sasha, go ahead. No, 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 please go. I speak a lot. Go ahead. I do think it was kind of interesting that, um, you know, same sex, sex marriage is legal, right? In South Africa? Yes, it is. Yes. Their constitution, same sex marriage okay. is. I don't know. For some reason, that was, it was interesting to me that like same sex marriage is legal, you know, it's fine for men to have multiple wives, but this is such like a crazy discussion, you know, cause it's like, it seems like um, they definitely have already started kind of like redefining marriage as an institution. And, and I don't know, it's really interesting. And it does kind of like break it apart more in a way and make us think about what marriage really is. And I mean, it makes me think about more how we define marriage in um, America for sure. I mean, I feel like, uh, people with multiple partners it's it's still really super crazy for us as a society whether it's a man or a woman I think people are starting to learn more about those types of relationships but you know we still have a long way to come but so interesting and who owns the kids in those relationships I mean uh, you know going back to that conversation you have um two gay men they may adopt children there's a number of ways that that children you know come to them and it's like you know two daddies so, so to me, that the other argument was pretty moot about you know the ownership and who when you have when you have gay men who have uh, children, they didn't make those kids, <laughs> right? So, you know, together, you know. Yeah, and you know, and I know in America, I feel like um, gay rights kind of has centered around white men, like white cis men. So it kind of makes me wonder how that relates to South Africa, like. Is it, is it kind of the same thing? Is that why same-sex marriage is okay? Because they centered that movement around men. Um, That's a good so, question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And answer, so but then this, you know, having women having multiple husbands, it's like, it's then harder to accept because it was easier to accept same-sex marriage because it's centered around men at the time. Well, I don't yeah. have the answer to that. I do know that I mean, historically, and even today, even though same-sex marriage is legal in the Constitution, mm -hmm. South Africa, I would not say, is a gay-friendly place. It right. is dangerous to be gay in South Africa. I think it's this larger conversation and something I brought in the beginning of what it means to be African is being gay part of what it is to be African. I mean, one of the arguments against this is that, you know, this is anti-African. And I think that's something, I mean, none of us here, while we may have ancestry and it could get, but are like actually African, grew up in Africa, 
that's not any of our identities. But it, right. it, I thought about that too, is for some people, they are seeing that this is an African thing and this is anti-African. And I will also include that in the green paper, it's not just polyandry that they're pushing for, but it's also giving legal recognition to Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, Jewish, and Rastafarian marriages as well. So those are also marriages right now that do not have legal recognition. Wow, so they're just throwing everything up there. They're just updating everything at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was like, I, I think Anna was saying earlier too, the redefinition of marriage. Um, but I, you, you led to a curious point about it being on the books, but not really being lived out, right? It was dangerous. I was surprised when um, Anna mentioned that it was legal. I didn't think it was legal. People <laughs> die. You mentioned you're gay in, in many parts of, of Africa. And, and that, don't anybody hear you. Mm -hmm. They will not find your body. And so I was surprised that, you know, that she, she had mentioned that. I, I didn't know that. There are stories of families killing their own. Yes. Well, I was on my Fulbright. I did my Fulbright in Senegal, which... Uh, polygamy is legal there. I've been thinking of that the whole time while we've been having this discussion. And I should say legal and also widely practiced, mm. widely practiced. But I bring that up not to say that, but to talk about it being dangerous. You know, there was a Fulbrighter who was gay, a gay black man who did his uh, Fulbright in South Africa. And he was uh, physically uh, assaulted while coming out of a gay club. Wow! Uh, and this was just back in 2017. And and if you did a, a if you did a quick Google search right now, you can find articles from this year alone. It is not let's not paint it as a you know a queer friendly a queer friendly place. But yeah, it is interesting, and I'm looking forward to following it. Right now, uh, it's going under a process where you know people can voice their concerns. The same way here during legislation, there's a period where you, as a normal citizen, can give your comments to propose amendments. Uh, it's going through that same process now. So I'm interested in seeing if the green paper passes, and if so, what gets approved and what gets left behind. I actually do want to make a comment based on the discussion that we have. I mean, I just want to say this one thing. We are often uh, surprised and even disgusted when we hear about uh, polygamy or polyandry in other countries. But honestly, we have that here. We just don't call it by name. There's this dude that got like, what's his name? They got the seven kids that just had. I mean, just because you don't give it a title doesn't mean the functionality is any different. He's had all these babies by all these different women. Um, isn't that the same thing? You know, um, you, you people talk about their stories about people's grandfathers having two families across the field from each other. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing, you know? And grandma getting tired of it, so she got Mr. Joe to come over, you know, and, and handle I mean, these are things that happen amongst humans. And uh, sometimes we just, um, you know, we don't, we're not honest about it. So. Uh, I have a lot to learn in that space, I have to be honest with you, but I applaud them for trying to at least have the discussion. And I hope that it makes it further than the paper that's been presented and that um, I'd be interested in what the women of South Africa have to say about, you know, this matter. 
Uh, thanks, Francine, for that last comment. This has definitely been an insightful and, might I say, juicy conversation. And while we could talk longer, I think we're going to end it there. I would like to say thank you uh, to our guest, Dr. Tracy. Thanks so much, Anna, and of course, Francine. And thank you to our listeners for contributing to this discussion through our social media. This podcast is brought to you in part by Iliad Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at Pointcast News or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Be sure to join in next time. Have a beautiful week and take care.